This morning I'm talking about something I think everyone wants. How many of you want to be untouchable? Hey? Untouchable. Well, that's a very broad statement, Mark. Untouchable. There's so many people who get touched. Isn't that right? Now, I just want to qualify this. I'm not saying that bad things won't come your way. I'm saying that you can overcome no matter what comes your way. Did you hear my qualification? You see, you can be untouchable no matter what comes your way. It doesn't mean things won't come your way. But it depends on you and where you are in your relationship with God. Do you understand that? Because here's the thing. God protects His own. And His own are those who are in Him. They're not in something else. They're in Him. And I'm going to show you just what that looks like. How many of you are disciples of Jesus? Hallelujah. We've got a house full of disciples. Woo! Are you not excited to be a disciple of Jesus? That means that we have chosen by our own free will to submit our lives to the pattern that was put forward by Jesus and his disciples. Is that correct? So we choose every morning to live according to the teachings Jesus gave us, the patterns the disciples had, and we believe that by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, we're empowered to live that impossible life. You know, moral DIY can only last so long. It's only supernatural morality that works. See, people think you need miraculous power to raise the dead, and you do. But you may need more miraculous power to live free from sin every day. And when you depend on your own strength to try and live free, then you end up producing something of the flesh, which ends up in trouble. But when you rely on the Spirit to empower you, only then can you truly live a righteous life. Because the righteousness of God has been given to us as a gift. Amen? And one of the first things that will make people wobble when it comes to being untouchable is the fact that they've sinned. Well, because you lost your temper, someone cut you off in traffic, and you did a whole hip-hop party for the devil in your car, and now you think that, um, well, I've just sealed it for the day. I'm going to have to wait until tomorrow because God's mercies are only new every morning. <laughs> exactly. That actually means that God's mercies are new every moment. Because the rest we enter into is the now. Because as long as it's called today, we are in His rest. And it's still today now. And it will be today now. You notice it's never not today. You only live in today and you can only plan for tomorrow and you can do nothing about yesterday, so stop trying. Our biggest problem is that we bring yesterday into the now, repeat yesterday now, and then wonder why nothing changes. Oh, Lord. That was very deep, by the way. Probably deeper than it should have been. So this is Jesus 
Um, or let me rather qualify that. That's a picture of Jesus. <laughs> okay. So um, this is a Western world depiction of the picture of Jesus. So please don't read too much into these pictures. They're just there to kind of give you an idea. Okay. Are you guys good with that? All right. So this is Jesus, um, a picture of him at his hometown, or what it would have looked like. Um, in Luke 4, where Jesus goes to read the scroll, he proclaims that he's the Messiah. And we're going to read through that now. And I want you to first understand that Jesus didn't go to his hometown without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't void of the Holy Spirit. He didn't make a mistake going there. So this idea that wherever, that if you go somewhere and you face, um, what is it called? Opposition, yeah, that word. That somehow God isn't leading you is a mistake, people. Okay? Many times when I've traveled, I've faced more opposition than if I just stayed at home. Isn't it funny? You think the devil wants me not to travel. Do you understand that? So don't, don't allow that lie that if it's hard, then it's not from God to get to you. Okay, Jesus faced some things and he was led by the Spirit. And if anyone wants to deny that, they can take it up with my dad upstairs. Don't write me emails. Because if I remember correctly, Jesus was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible clearly tells us that he was operating by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself admitted to that. Amen. All right. So in Luke 4, 16 to 30, we're going to read. So if you have your Bibles, or you can read on the screen. It's pretty clear, I'm sure. Unlike my friend Richard, I made sure that you can read it. However... I want to say one thing just on a, a segue. Richard, last week's meeting was absolutely amazing. I'm sure everyone enjoyed it. And um, it was really just so awesome to hear how God had worked through you and that you had stepped up to the challenge, which is something I think everyone should do. Amen? Step up to the challenge, even if it's just putting your hand on a co-worker that hates your shoulder and say, you know, I love you, and hook, hook away. I love you. All right. Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his occasion, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can you say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? Okay. Because he has anointed me. Alright. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because God anointed him for a purpose. So the Spirit of the Lord being on Jesus has something to do with his mission and his purpose. Am I right? So if Jesus doesn't step into his mission and his purpose, is is there a need for the Spirit of the Lord to be upon him? No. Because until you step into your mission and purpose, the Spirit of the Lord isn't active in your life. If you are living for yourself, and you are not living for His purpose, then who are you really living for? 
Come on. Listen, the prophetic word over this morning is that we're going to cut off the old and we're going to build something new. So if you've got some old stuff you need to get rid of, now's the time. A full cup cannot take more. Amen? And the fact that you're here means that when the student is ready, the, the master will appear. This is what happens. So if you're not ready, that's fine. 100% okay. Go, carry on, live the way that you are. It's okay. Jesus still loves you. God will still give you grace. But if you want to go to the next level and be untouchable, then pay attention. Because Jesus lived a certain way, and we are disciples of Jesus, and the way he lived produced the kind of results he got. And if you want those same results in your life that he had, then it means you're going to have to actually pattern the master. Amen? So what was Jesus' anointing? It was to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Brothers and sisters, the same anointing, by the way, the Messiah is the anointed one. You are a Christian, which means you are an anointed one. Which means that the same anointing Jesus had here is the same anointing that you carry upon your life now. The same way in which the Father has sent me, Jesus said in John, I think it's 20 or 19, so I send you. Are you one of those? Next one, please. Oh, sorry, that's it. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people spoke, spoke, sorry, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Okay. Isn't that great? They all liked what he had to say. Isn't that awesome? They were like, yeah, this man has the truth. Am I right? Right. So I just want to show you how quickly the crowd can turn on you. And they said, hmm, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me a proverb, physician, heal yourself. Where you have what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your homestead as well. So the first thing that happens is they say, hold on, don't we know this guy? Isn't he just Joseph's son? You see, what happens is when people get, when people encounter God in you, they try to divert to the person that they used to know. They try to associate you with your natural genealogy when you begin to walk in your heavenly one. Why? Because they want to bring you down to their level so that they can disqualify what you're saying because then they don't have to hear you. Is this making sense? That's why the Bible teaches us to no longer consider one another according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because it's the only way that we can successfully submit to one another in grace. Isn't that right? So he says, truly I, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is, account, is acceptable in his hometown. 
But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and she wasn't even a Jew. What is Jesus trying to communicate to the people at his hometown? He's trying to make them aware that it's common for people who know you to not see the value in you because they're too familiar with you. He's not giving us an excuse why we can't do stuff in our own home. He's telling them not to act that way so that he can do the same stuff in his own home. Do you, does it make sense to you? Okay. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, which again wasn't in Israel, wasn't an Israelite. Both of these were Gentiles. The prophet had to go outside of Israel to go and do good because Israel had rejected God's prophet. So when you reject someone just because you don't like the way they look or how they say things, be careful. You can't receive from them. Does that make sense? Or maybe they don't fit your idea of what a pastor should look like. Be careful. Hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Hear the Spirit of what's being said and qualify it with Scripture. That is how we know whether we're hearing from God or just a man. Amen? When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Wow! They went from, wow, Jesus... To know Jesus. Now I'm sure if you were there, you wouldn't have done that, right? Because we always believe we'd act better. But the reality is that in his hometown, after he said these things, it invoked, we could say they were triggered. It invoked anger in them, and they were filled not just with an intense dislike for him, but wrath. All in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the borough of the hill on which their town was built. So I want you to imagine if all of you got upset with what I just said and then decided to push me all the way onto the bridge and to throw me off the bridge. How many of you would like to be in that situation? Now, surely, you know, God is with Jesus, so why does He allow this to happen? Because God isn't allowing anything to happen. People are making choices. People are choosing how to respond to Jesus. If Jesus doesn't go and share the good news, then they don't have an opportunity to respond to the good news. The Bible says in Romans, how will they know lest we preach? Does it make sense? And it's an important thing to understand because right here, they're about to throw Jesus off a cliff, but Jesus had a destiny with a cross, not with a cliff. And because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was, he knew this wasn't the time. And so what does he do? He turns around and not once does Jesus freak out. Not once does Jesus panic. Not once does Jesus act like anyone in the world. 
believers, too often we allow the news to make us act like everyone else in the world. You don't try and have faith. You either have it or you don't. Faith is a settling down, not a mustering up. It's a rest in God's ability above your own, not a trying to get God to move. It's an acknowledgement that God has already moved, and so now He'll move through you. Does it make sense? Too many people call faith begging God for help. Faith has got nothing to do with begging God for help. It's got everything to do with knowing who He is and that you can trust Him in any situation that you're in. No matter where you go, do you think Jesus knew what was going to happen in His hometown? No, He knew who His God was, so no matter what happened in His hometown, He'd be able to handle it. Does it make sense? So, but passing through their midst, he went away. Wow, just like that, eh? Means Jesus decided he's not going to die there, so he's not going to die there. Maybe you could do the same. If Jesus is your master and you are his disciple, the purpose of a disciple is to mimic the master. Jesus said it's enough for the disciple to be as the master. And the disciple will be as the master is if he is fully trained. Maybe all we need is a bit of practice. What do you all say? So he asked Jesus. You see, Jesus was different to the scribes and the Pharisees. Next slide, please. Jesus spoke with a unique authority that was unlike any other teacher or leader of his time. He spoke with conviction and clarity that was really seen in the words of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus spoke with authority, demonstrating that he was well-versed in the topics he discussed. Rather than expounding on various doctrinal positions and leaving it up to the listener to choose, he did not leave it up to opinion. He said it as it was. Do you understand? Jesus didn't say, yes, 10 ideas that we can take from this passage and you can choose whichever one you want. He made it clear what the truth was. The Bible, the word preach means to speak with authority that the hearer should obey the words you're speaking. It's not, well, that was a nice preach. Let's go home and have some bacon. Do you hear me? This is a listen, if you want your life to be untouchable, you have to hear that Jesus believed certain truths that made him untouchable. Those truths that made him untouchable are the ones you need. You have to have the same kind of dependency on God, your Father, as he did. Because without that dependency, you will waver. The minute the situation comes your way, you will lean on your own understanding. And you will not lean on God. And the Bible says, in Him we live and move and have our being. 
Jesus walked away because he had God's protection. But it wasn't just some fly-by-night thing. It wasn't just some thing he read in the Bible five weeks ago and thought, oh, that's a nice idea. It was something he truly believed. Does that make sense? The Bible talks about the faith of Abraham. The faith of Abraham was that Abraham, in spite of everything that he was witnessing and seeing, was fully convinced that God would keep his promise. The faith of Abraham was the kind of faith that doesn't go by what it sees, but it goes by what he said. It doesn't go by how you feel, it goes by what the truth is. We cannot be governed by our feelings situationally and circumstantially. We have to be the authors of our feelings so that our feelings can line up with the truth. Next slide, please. So Jesus says this. Next one. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's you. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus believed that no one could take his life, but that he would willingly choose when and where he would lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received. From my father. Come on now. I don't know. But guys. When I read this. I just get all happy inside. Because I know one thing. I know this. That Jesus is my blueprint. And if he can talk like that. Because he has a relationship with the father. And there's no way I have a relationship with the father. Except through him. And now I have one. It means the same thing is true for me. I don't need to let the newspapers and situations and politics and circumstance tell me when my life is going to end. I get to choose when I will lay it down. And so Jesus did make that choice. As you all know, every one of us face a, a time in our lives or many times for some where we have a Judas. Someone who goes and betrays us, betrays our trust, and many are still in a place of unforgiveness towards such people. But the pattern we see in Jesus is not such. Next slide, please. In John 18, 3 to 10, it says, So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Listen very closely. Whom do you seek? And they said, um, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas who betrayed him was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
Jesus said, I am he. And all the soldiers fell down. It's a different kind of Humpty Dumpty song. They were slain. Are you with me? Now please, don't misunderstand that people who fall down under the Spirit are bad of some nature or whatever. That's just an effect that happens when a person's overwhelmed by the Spirit. But you can see the protection of God. Jesus kept standing there. They fell down and He waited for them to get up. Because no one would take His life from Him. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Next one. Now let me ask you this. How many of you remember that Jesus put that ear back? Now isn't it amazing? Simon goes and he chops off the ear because what motivates him to strike the man? Fear. Jesus doesn't do a thing to him. What motivates him? Love. Do you see the difference? Fear will always strike where love will always lay it down. I mean, you've got to get this. It's important for you. Fear will always strike out. And love will always lay it down. For God so loved the world that He laid it down. He gave His only Son. Isn't that right? Because love gives. So being a giver is a way of showing love. Isn't that amazing? So if it's true for Jesus, it's true for you. When Jesus says, I've been given authority to lay it down and to pick it up again, you've been given that same authority. Why? Because you've been given the same glory that Jesus had. Jesus said, I give them my glory. Next one, please. Romans eight twenty nine to 30 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Now just so you know, Foreknowledge basically means to know beforehand. He also predestined. In other words, because he knew who would choose beforehand, he has destined you from that time. Does it make sense? To be conformed to the image of his son. So what was the predestination of everyone in this room whom he knew would choose him? That you should all become conformed to the image of his son. Which means he wants you to take the discipleship Jesus gave seriously and pattern your life after the discipline that he lived according to. Am I right? Have the same mind that was in Christ. Do you see the mind that was in Christ? Was it he would not be touched until he chose to be? Does that make sense? Next one. So yes, Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate says something's interesting. Next one, please. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me 
Do you not know that I have authority to release and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. Wow. You see, the only reason Jesus spoke to Pilate like that is because Jesus was coming as an ambassador of heaven and he was only meant to have a discussion with other political people. That's why he didn't fight with the Sadducees and the because yeah, they said, no, never mind. Okay, so yes, Jesus. He, uh, sorry, this is not Jesus. My, my, my bad. Um, this here is the apostles. So in the early stages, the apostles are preaching the gospel, right? And they have the same mind that is in Christ because they believe the things that Jesus has taught them. Amen? Okay, so Acts 5, 12 to 20. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done amongst the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's patio, or portio, whatever that is. Portigo. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out to the sick, into the streets, and laid them on the cots and mats, that, at, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, how many of you know it wasn't his shadow? It was the fact that the Spirit of God was emanating from him. Next one. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. How many? But the high priest rose up and all were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees, like I said, they said. And they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. How many of you would like to be incarcerated tonight? For the preaching of the gospel? How many of us are avoiding doing things so we won't be incarcerated for the preaching of the gospel? And how many Christians are pointing fingers at those who are incarcerated for preaching the gospel instead of praying for them that they be released because it's unjust? Brothers and sisters, can we not see that openly their local government was against the preaching of the gospel? This is very important that we understand this. In spite of the fact that they are protected by God, that they get locked up. Right, watch. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. But we just got arrested for that. Okay, we'll just go do that again. If you keep opening the door, we'll keep going. This stuff is happening, people, in places that you don't hear about because the only thing that you hear on your little square box is the narrative they want you to hear. And did you know that negative news is so bad for your psychological health that it will lead to anxiety, depression, and fear? 
even minor bad news. Switch the thing off. Spend time with God. Get into the good news. Remind yourself of the kind of world God wants on the earth, not the kind of world they want you to see so that you'll keep buying into the lies. Because this is the truth. I mean, yes, Paul, one of the apostles, he considered himself a late bloomer. He's in prison. I mean, how many times did he end up in prison? I could share so many stories of how Paul turned. I mean, I could have spent this whole preach just on Paul and how he turned every situation into an opportunity for the kingdom of God to invade. Because if it's true for God that He can turn all things together for good for those who love Him and are called to His purposes and God lives in me, then there isn't a situation that I can't turn so that it brings glory to God. Are you guys enjoying this this morning? So he has Paul in prison. Next one, please. And he's writing one of his famous letters. And I want you to understand the tone of this letter because Paul himself understood this revelation that Jesus had. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Oh, I'm in prison, but this is going to turn out for my deliverance. I take a bus to George. It takes me 24 hours. The The bus breaks down. But I trust God, and half an hour later, I'm at my destination. God turns it around. Are you hearing me? Okay, how many of you guys would like to see a part two on this? All right. So um, we've got consensus in the room. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to carry on to this part here because this will give you the gist of it, right? He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope. So you need hope. Am I right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you don't have hope, then there's nothing for your faith to land on. Do you understand that? Okay. So, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. Am I right? Okay. But that... With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, he didn't make a qualification one way or the other. Why? Because the devil will use that thing against you. In Revelations 12, it says, They overcame the evil one by the word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and they loved not their lives even unto death. You cannot afford to be in in love with your life more than you're in love with Jesus. Whoever loses his life for my name's sake will gain everything. What does it profit you if you gain everything but you lose your life? Have we forgotten some of these things? 
For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Whoa, wait a minute, Paul. You're in prison. You, what is happening is in other people's hands. What do you mean you're going to choose? Isn't this arrogance? No, it's confidence. He was so confident in God and the authority that he'd been given, he was trying to make the choice. Watch what he says. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What? You can be untouchable. But you've got to be, remember, just like Shabrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you don't love your own life. You love Him more. You trust Him more. I'm calling you to a, a holy consecration of your whole being to God this morning. Where you depend on Him first for everything. First, in every area of your life. Not a second hand or an ultimate one day if we really need it. Everything in my life depends on Jesus. I put my trust in Him. He is my strong tower and my refuge. My Lord, my God, in whom I trust. That's faith, people. It's faith. To know whether I live or die, I bring glory to my King. This life is but a fleeting moment. Is it not more worth to have eternal gains than temporary satisfaction? Stop putting your temporary lenses on. You're an eternal being. There's eternal destiny. You've got to live from eternity. So this morning, if you feel like maybe in some areas of your life, you want to recommit yourself and say, Father, this morning I recommit myself to completely depend on you. I want you to stand, please. Come on.